Welcome to the No Film School podcast. I'm Liz Nord, Editor-in-Chief, with this week's episode. In the emerging field of virtual reality filmmaking, there are still lots of basic questions about how best to tell a story in VR, which projects even make a worthwhile story in 360, and what conventions from traditional filmmaking that we need to throw right out the window to help pave the way for this medium. On this episode, I speak with some smart people who've been grappling with these questions and made some amazing projects. Ben C. Solomon, video journalist and filmmaker for The New York Times, and Carla Boris, director of digital video at PBS's long-running documentary series, Frontline. Ben's project, The Fight for Fallujah, embeds viewers directly with Iraqi forces as they attempt to retake Fallujah from ISIS. It appeared at the Camden International Film Festival in Maine, and that's where we spoke, along with Sean Flynn, the program director of the Points North Institute, who invited both Carla and Ben and me, to the festival, and curated its interactive storytelling lineup. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hi. Hello. (laughs) Could you each introduce yourselves and tell me what your relationship with VR production is? So my name is Sean Flynn. I'm the program director for the Points North Institute, which is the new sort of umbrella organization for the Camden International Film Festival. We just launched it a couple months ago. Um, my relationship to VR, I have a background as a documentary producer, and um, but I've always had an interest in technology um, going back to you know my childhood. And, and um, I actually decided to go back to graduate school a few years ago, and I attended a program at MIT called the Open Documentary Lab worked with a a research group there and and it was really kind of at this inflection point between um, you know at the time interactive documentary was a lot of things happening on the web um, people experimenting with mobile devices and other platforms and then the oculus rift came out um, and the first prototypes and and I really during that time kind of watched um, this massive transition to where kind of you know interactive storytelling has become very much defined by VR, um, which to be honest, I, th- I, I still have some mixed feelings about, but I do think it's a powerful medium and it's one that's um, in its very early stages. So I'm just kind of fascinated to explore it as a, as a curator, as a um, you know, person that's been involved in making films and that's always interested in you know, what are the frontiers in terms of new ways that we can share creative nonfiction um, with audiences. So. And you programmed the virtual reality. And so, yeah, so I programmed um, uh, our, our first exhibition of interactive and immersive media here called Storyforms. And it includes um, about six VR projects, um, as well as some installation work. So. Cool. My name is Ben Solomon. I'm a video journalist and a filmmaker for The New York Times. Uh, how did I get involved in VR? I first did uh, a piece last year called The Displaced. Uh, which was the New York Times' first big kind of foray into VR. Um, I got put on that because I work a lot on foreign assignments, and they hired a big company called Verse, now called Within, and they wanted somebody to basically work with them and kind of put the New York Times spin on it, so I co-directed it with a guy named Imran Ismail. Um, That was my first uh, VR film, and then basically uh, after that, we were just trying to figure out which is the the thing that we want to do next that would be uh, really interesting. So... Um, this piece that is playing here that I made is called Fight for Fallujah, and it's my uh, second big film. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm just getting my bearings in VR like everybody else, right? Like, 
So my name is Carla Boris, Borras, if I'm doing it correctly. Um, and I'm the director of digital video at Frontline, which is a current affairs documentary series for PBS. And I got into the crazy world of VR um, because my uh, executive producer, Rainey Aronson, also was at the MIT Open Doc Lab. She went back to school as well um, because she really feels strongly about authentically leading. And so she really wanted to immerse herself in new forms of storytelling. One of the new mediums that they explored in her fellowship was VR. Uh, and instantly she knew this was the medium that she um, felt strongly that we should be pioneering and experimenting um, as documentary journalists. Uh, it just made sense. We've been doing documentary journalism for over 30 years at Frontline. Um, and so she just felt this was a place to experiment. Again, with everyone else, it's emerging. Uh, time will tell. We're experimenting. We don't have all the answers, uh, but we just are really excited to, to try it out and see what kind of, um, if the immersive storytelling can help further our journalism. So um, Carla and Ben, you both were on a panel here, and Sean, I'm assuming you kind of programmed that panel about VR. And I've been to a lot of these panels now. You know, it's kind of my my jam, I guess. And you always hear, you know, the advice to filmmakers is like, make sure that your project is VR suitable, like that it should be a VR project before you, you know, go down that road. So how does someone even know, like, what makes something have, quote unquote, good qualities for VR? So I don't know if there's one answer. It's uh, certainly not a one-size-fits-all um, scenario with VR. So I think there are a few things to consider when you are um, interested in exploring the forum. And if you have got a story, I think you have to ask yourself, is there something transportive about this where VR is going to add um, in a way if you get to actually be there and be on the ground as something is unfolding? Uh, I think another thing is what we hear uh, it being a very immersive medium. So asking yourself those questions about your story, is it gonna be additive in an immersive way or an empathy way? We hear often about the empathy machine as well. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. There's no one like answer for like what's VR worthy and what's not. Um, I think the same way that like when you sit down and say like, okay, is this a film or not? Like this is the same way that you, is the, the same kind of approach you have to have as like, is this a VR film or not? Like, Well, yeah, except I think that a lot of, you know, there's a hundred years of cinematic history for people to judge that against. And in VR, you don't, you know, we don't necessarily have the framework to answer for ourselves whether or not it's a VR project. So what, what should right. someone be considering? Well, I mean, I, I think that, um, you're right. You're, you're totally right. Like what I usually am the, <laughs> the way that, the way that I think that, that VR is getting uh, more interesting is when people are doing like the, the, the not expected thing with it. Like I saw a great wall street journal. Uh, it was like at Sundance, the wall street journal made one where it was like the, the city, it was like all the, the like lines around the city kind of showing it. It was just informational. It was a truly like a journalistic piece kind of showing the tapestry of the city and like how much, what was it like prices or you saw it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, the stocks. Yeah. The roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of the stock, uh, stock history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was like, that was something that I would never have thought of, you know? And, uh, but at the same time, like, I think if you sit down at like a table and you like bring a story, right. 
if it's like, okay, we want to do a story about like government corruption in Salvador, I'm like you're, you know, okay. Like, do we have a better thing that we could be doing with VR? You know, is there another story that would be a little bit more interesting to kind of visually tell the same way that we think about that when we tell like a story about in a film? Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I, I mean, I just kind of, I, I try to go piece by piece about mm-hmm. what's, what's interesting and what's not. Um, yeah. And you've seen so much of this work now, Sean. What do you have thoughts on the matter? Yeah, it actually um, brings to mind one of the the pieces that we have in the Storyforms program this year, which is um, it's called Six by Nine, um, and it's um, produced by uh, a journalist at the Guardian named Francesca Panetta. Um, and but it actually uh, the the foundation for it is a bunch of audio that was recorded um, for a Frontline documentary. Um, and so, you know, when I hear this question, I don't think, you know, there's necessarily a one to one relationship between like a single story and a single medium. I think often there's different aspects of a story that can be conveyed through different formats and different media. Um, so in the case of this, you had, you know, I think a, an hour long broadcast documentary about solitary confinement, which was incredible and really kind of delved into you know, policy issues and all kinds of things. And um, last year we actually screened a short film that was sort of derived from some of that material um, that's really powerful called The Sounds of Solitary um, that I think Carla was probably involved in, you know, goes out to YouTube, potentially reaches a whole different audience. And then based on all of that material, all of this like incredible harrowing um, audio content, uh, Francesca at The Guardian comes along and builds a soundscape and then a sort of 3D world which is basically a, a, a replica of, of a solitary cell. And it, it places you in that environment. I think VR, in a lot of ways, is a more spatial medium, whereas mm-hmm. film is kind of a, a temporal medium. And so you know, I think some of the things that are, that are interesting about that piece to me is she starts to use the sort of architecture of this cell as a storytelling device and the sort of first-person possibilities of VR to, to place you in that role of somebody just sort of stuck in this place that's that's kind of nightmarish um and so so yeah that's a case where you know you have a very big story which is solitary confinement in america but it can kind of branch off into all these different formats yeah i interviewed francesca and one of the designers at tribeca i mean it was such a visceral experience that's something i guess vr can do that that other media can't necessarily um, I felt that way too in the Fallujah piece. Just the scale of things that you can't um, you can't appreciate uh, until you sort of quote unquote experience it in your piece. So, Carly, you said something interesting on the panel about how it feels like we might be in a moment where technology is getting in the way of story when it comes to VR. So, can you talk a little bit about that here? Sure. I feel that technology is a huge roadblock right now for good storytelling. So when you look at the VR landscape right now, a lot of the stuff isn't great. And I think it's um, because we're all trying to figure it out and we're all experimenting. But I also think it has a lot to do with the technology. That's the software. That's the hardware. That's the headsets and the viewing experience. So for Frontline, we do long-form journalism. We do sort of in-depth, comprehensive, the why about an issue. That's very hard to do in just a few minutes. And with VR, 
right now, given where the headsets are at and you know, just how uncomfortable it really can be as a viewing experience, or if you're going to go out on like a uh, player like Facebook, you can't even put up a piece of content that is longer than 10 minutes. So it's a real problem for us telling the kinds of stories that we would want to tell. Um, and I think it's the same thing for, you know, a camera person and the filming. I think Ben actually had a really interesting point about making the Fallujah VR experience that he did, whereas he doesn't have time in a war zone to check every single camera, make sure everything's in sync, that the batteries are going, to be able to capture the realities of war. And so, you know, you were lucky enough to have the New York Times help devise a rig um, that would work in that scenario. But I think it's the same thing that we're up against when we're going to these very remote places and we want to tell the stories of people that don't have voices and we want to do this for example with videogrammetry which is very cutting edge VR technology and I think is very powerful and has potential for bringing the form leaps and bounds into the future but what is that oh sure so videogrammetry is being able to let's say, um, record an interview with many cameras such that you will see the person in all their dimensions in complete 3D form. And the problem is, um, or I should start by saying like 8i is a company that does this and they're doing great things with this, but they only have a couple of studios right now. So they have one in LA and we've got these great stories that we've wanted to tell, but it's a journalism roadblock. There are certain characters that there's no possible way of flying them all the way to LA to do this. And so in fact, prohib- doing so might change the story, right? <clears throat> Absolutely. So it's very prohibitive right now, the tech. Once it gets out of the way, I think story will, will go much further. Yeah, the cameras are, are really hard to work, um, is the bottom line. Like They're really hard to, to think about. Um, on top of everything else. But right now, I mean, they're the best cameras out there, the kind of the most used cameras, aside from the new kind of consumer ones that are getting more popular, uh, are GoPros. And GoPros are, you know, kind of the consumer technology and like a little thing. Um, The new GoPros, the GoPro 4, is like overheat in 10 minutes. The GoPro 3s don't barely do HD, you know. They're they're not great cameras. No offense, GoPro. Uh, (laughs) But... Um, so like, yeah, it's a steep curve, right? Um, and we were just talking before another curve in addition to the technology is just the, the, the viewership, like the way the viewers interact with it, right? Most people, I, every time I come to something like this or any like viewings, it's usually like s- most people's first time watching VR, right? Like it's usually their first time doing it. It's usually their only time they'll probably ever do it in a headset or at least for now for the immediate future. Um, and it's, it's hard. It's like people don't understand how to watch it. People don't know how to kind of interact with it. People don't know, like, people are always impressed. It's like, wow, you know, a novelty. It's amazing. It's like t- totally around you. But at the same time, like, they put it down and then they, you know, they don't go and seek it out. So there's this demand for better tech. There's this demand for better content. There's this demand for, like, more kind of um, putting it around and moving it to different people. And, like, all that is still, like, everybody's trying to figure out how to do those things individually. I mean, even just, like, putting it on and showing it to, like, a group in a room is, like, super complicated. Like, just showing it to, like, six people is, like, amazingly complicated. So there's, like, a lot of limitations in that sense. And and in in, in a lot of ways, those are all kind of, like, 
in the immediate way of its populous kind of spread. There's literally a laundry list of technical problems that we've encountered in the two years making VR films, but here's another illustration of where the tech really holds up the story. So we're trying to tell this very visceral, immersive story of a family that stayed behind during Superstorm Sandy, right? The uh, climax of the event takes place at night. When you're using cameras like GoPro, there is a huge low light issue. <laughs> you just can't capture the footage. Or we had an expedition that was happening in the heart of the Amazon jungles of Peru. Part of the journey just had to take place at night. Um, there were night rituals that they were doing. And again, you can't tell those parts of the story right now. We actually had a new camera that we were experiment experimenting with that are the um, black magic. So people are every day helping evolve the technology and we will get there. But right now, again, it just limits the kind of stories you can tell and the ways that you can tell them. What we, what we have is the precedent of the development of cinema and television and these other media technologies. And you can really see um, you know, the ways that some of the, the sort of early introductions of these technologies, when, when film first came out, people didn't know how to tell a story. It was just, you know, they went out and pointed a camera on the streets or at a train. And, and so, um, you know, and I, and I also think there weren't the same conventions around the sort of viewership. Um, and that's exactly what, what Ben was referring to. You know, at this point, people put on a headset for the first time and their first instinct is to just sort of whip their head around, they're looking behind them, they're looking up, they're looking down, they're, they're exploring the technology and the interface more than they're actually absorbing the story. And I'm sure that that's really frustrating for a lot of uh, these early kind of VR storytellers because, you know, especially if you're coming from another medium where you know that, like, if somebody presses play on a video or walks into a, a theater to watch a film, like, they know, they, they have, there's, there's a sort of contract between the producer and the audience there where, like, you, you, you can kind of assume that there's a, there's some sustained attention there. You know, you're not going to be paying attention to what's around it. It's just, you know, we, we know how to watch a, a linear film. Um, but I think we're, you know, most people when they first put on VR, it's just, it's a lot of distraction. And I still find that I've watched a lot of VR. Um, but you know, I still am kind of Exploring, like, okay, what's what's new about this piece? You know, is are there interactive elements? Um, how do they work? And and sometimes it takes you a couple minutes of that before you start to actually pay attention to what's being said, um, or you know, what what are the actual images that you're you're taking in? Mm -hmm. um, so it's this whole like interface problem, you know, that I think the interface hasn't become invisible yet or, or taken for granted. Right. Just one important caveat. I don't want to put all the blame on the technology either. Yeah. As storytellers, I think we have a lot to learn as well. Um, when we look back to the early days of television, I think people used a lot of the tropes from radio because it was a form of storytelling that they understood that they knew and they tried to apply that to television. Well, and that they knew had an audience. Absolutely. And so I think right now we're also... Um, 
as filmmakers doing the same thing. We're trying to apply a lot of the same tropes and standards and methods and techniques to this new form because we know them so well and because they work in this more linear medium. And so I think great um, innovation will come from also different industries where people don't have those kinds of um, storytelling techniques baked into their DNA in the way that we do. You know, that's actually a great segue because we are, you know, this podcast and the other things we do are resources for filmmakers. And so it's about the learning, really. And I'm, I'm wondering, we don't have a lot of time. So I'd love to know from each of you guys what you think, like, what are the biggest learnings you've had so far, both on the production side, which sounds very complicated, and on the user experience side, which is, a, as uh, Sean pointed out, filmmakers never had to think about user experience before one of the best lessons like visually is something that you see like in comparison with frontline and a new york times piece we both filmed an airdrop in south sudan like a week apart actually Mm -hmm. um and for two different pieces and i think that what happened stepping back what's an airdrop oh sorry Uh, it was a food it was a food drop in south sudan and South Sudan, there's no like infrastructure like roads to get food and other supplies to, you know, really indentured communities. So they fly planes and literally drop like bags of rice into the safe zones and coordinate it with people on the ground so that people can get food. Um, and we both heard this, right, independently. And my producers in New York were like, yo, you gotta, that is absolutely a perfect like shot for VR. And they were 100% right. And Frontline said the exact same thing and got it just as just much better than we shot it. And what what it was, what it kind of well, the reason it was so good is because <clears throat> the lesson that we get from VR is that you can't control where people are going to look like you can't control where they're going to like face their eyes. But you can kind of like use the techniques of blocking and the techniques of sound and movement to kind of implicitly guide where people like put their eyes. Right. So a food drop you hear a plane, right? Very distinctive sound. Everybody on the ground looks up and then suddenly like there's a plane in the sky, you know, in, in frontline piece, they like cut to the plane, right? So w- what it was doing and what, what it made a really great use of in VR is like a, the, the spatial kind of movement of how this thing proceeds. And to be able to understand like how it worked gave like a lot deeper understanding of just like what this meant and how it, how it was. So the thing that I learned and the thing that I look for and the thing that I, we literally sit down now and think about is like what's another thing like that where the 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 sound the natural movement of something guides viewers to understand something and how can we capture that and how can we kind of understand that better so that's something i mean uh, what we're learning is that like you can't you, you have to be implicit you have to do storytelling without actually just shoving people's faces in it or shoving people's faces in it you know but like however you do it you have to like let, you have to guide people along to understand it, not like, like okay, look to the left. Okay, look to the right. You know, that's just bad storytelling sometimes. Totally agree. I think frameless first approach is something that we're all learning and struggling with and grappling with. Another uh, lesson I think um, that we've taken away is that VR is a great medium for size and scope. And it allows you to get a sense of scale that you can't have when you are 
contained to a frame and you only get what the director is going to give you in that frame and we had another a film return to Chernobyl that we did with a few grad students at NYU's journalism school and global beats program and I think that they nailed it when they were thinking of story and they were thinking of exploring VR and they knew Chernobyl okay first things first very few people get to go there. It's such an incredible um, place to visit on the ground, and most of us will never get that opportunity, probably don't ever want to (laughs) risk the dangerous radiation levels. But they also realized that there is something about being able to see all around you the devastation of this nuclear accident to be able to take in the deterioration of a community swimming pool and that's not just a corner of the room it is literally crumbling all around you and uh, i think it's very very powerful in vr well i haven't made any vr but um you know i can i can sort of from just sort of the, the the range of pieces that I've I've looked at, you know, I think um, it's easy to see why filmmakers are attracted to VR because you're still kind of shooting video. You're just shooting video with a sort of wider field of view, and and um, you know, it's a it's a 360 degree video image. Um, and I think there's been some great work um, produced um, in in that sort of. Um, mode of VR and, and Carla and Ben are here because of the, the sort of um, that type of work. But I, I also think some of the, the most interesting VR I've seen um, takes you to places um, that you could never otherwise go by using things like 3D modeling and rendering. And so six by nine is an example of that and sort of building that cell that required working with an entire team to sort of build a, a, an environment um, using 3D graphics. Um, another VR artist that I, I really admire is Oscar Raby, um, who has a piece here called Easter Rising. Um, and here, that's an example of somebody coming from more of a visual art world or background, um, you know, getting into VR and I think just bringing a different sort of perspective to it. He, he works with a lot of, um, you know, 3D models that kind of have polygons that break apart and it, it, it just it makes it more abstract it makes it um you know more imaginative and and you know maybe even poetic um and i think uh, i'm really excited to see more of that type of vr the problem with that right now is it's really expensive and time consuming to produce um you know so it's not the it's not the easiest sort of on-ramp into into the vr world um but it's certainly something i think we're going to see more of and it's it's another way to sort of transport the viewer into a totally different place, but it's more of a, a an imaginative space. So um, I hope to see more people kind of following that path. I also have a counterintuitive lesson, audio. Audio is critical uh, for VR storytelling. And it's interesting because it's such a visual medium. You actually get way more visuals than you get with most mediums because it's 360. But uh, great audio can completely transform the story you're telling because in the real world, it is literally how we experience our own individual stories and what's happening around us. Audio cues that make us curious to turn behind us and see what's happening. And I think a lot of the projects that Sean mentioned 
actually started with audio. Six by Nine started with audio. Oscar's new project, Easter Rising, started with audio. Nani de la Pena, who's often known as the godmother of VR, often starts with audio. We're actually experimenting. Um, we're collaborating with her on three projects that are going to experiment with cutting-edge technologies from photogrammetry to videogrammetry to interactivity and agency. And she l definitely told us, first and foremost, think about the audio assets you have. I like what you said about the on-ramping. It's a good point. I mean, we're all spending all this time trying to understand on-ramping. You got to think that one day, like, Pixar is going to come in and just, like, sweep us all into the room, you know? We're on-ramping everybody on <laughs> so that everybody will be like, oh, okay, I kind of know VR. And then Pixar is going to be like, okay, we got this, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. and then or just, Google. Like, I mean, Google's Google. getting into this space. Well, Google's making some stuff, too, but it's it's the, you can see the same problems. But I, I think that the, the big VR moment is going to happen next is going to happen with narrative filmmaking. I think it's going to be really interesting when somebody who's thinking about the spatial kind of complications, the audio complications, especially like the audio and the way that audio attracts people and moves people around, will think about a, a piece where they get to block people out. They get to block actors, and block performers out so that they are drawing your attention uh, implicitly, but in a way that's that's staged. So I think that when when people start figuring that out, in addition to documentary, then it's going to do some amazing things um, for for the way that we watch this stuff. And hopefully, Pixar will start <laughs> funding us all. <laughs> so so then, last question is: if someone does, you know, an indie person or you know, independent journalist wants to onboard, wants to experiment with this. Where do they even start if they don't have a front line behind them or New York Times behind them? Well, I think that uh, what we're seeing right now, uh, as the stuff's getting built up, we're seeing a lot more consumer items being made. In the past year, there's two new cameras that are decent, you know, virtual reality cameras to go out and start with, the Ricoh Theta and the Samsung 360. Uh, both of which are, what, 500 bucks, you know? Like, they're as much as, like, a point-and-shoot. Um, I think that people are going to pick these things up and they're going to get an understanding. At first, you're going to see a lot of like vacation photos, mm -hmm. as one does, right? But then some 16-year-old kid is going to like, you know, figure some stuff out and start playing with it and start doing things that make us all go like, damn, like, ah, I didn't think of that. Like, whoa, that's so smart, you know? Like, we're all like paid to think about this. But when some dude is just like, or dudette, is figuring stuff out, and just doing it because they love it, then things are going to get really interesting. And I think that as the way that the technology is getting pushed right now, it's getting pushed to that consumer market. It's getting pushed so that people can start playing with it. And I think it's going to be cool. It's going to be cool in the next while to see like how it gets taken out of these hands, which you can only use it with like $25,000 budgets to even start something. It's going to get taken out of those people's hands and put in younger people's hands. And, and it's going to be cool. And you don't even need a camera to dive into the world of VR. This was something that we learned along the way um, because we had some very talented editors uh, who were also encouraged to watch some VR experiences. And one that we saw together was Lover, L-O-V-R. And you can create these graphical 360 stories just using After Effects. So if you've got... Uh, good solid skill set with After Effects, there's a plugin called Metal Skybox, and it allows you to build a 360 world, put your animations in there, and tell again a great 360 story as well. How cool. 
Well, I could talk with you guys all night. I mean, I have a million more questions, but I think you have yet another amazing Points North Forum event to get to. So thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for listening. You can hear lots of other fascinating conversations on the art of filmmaking and virtual reality by finding the No Film School podcast in iTunes and, of course, by visiting us at nofilmschool.com. Don't miss our Indie Film Weekly News Show, which comes out every Thursday morning and catches you up on what you might have missed when you were busy making films. You can reach me on Twitter at LizFilm, and we are all on Twitter at NoFilmSchool. Keep in touch.